Welcome to the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. I'm Crispin Schroeder. Today's audio comes from our Saturday night service, December 12th, downtown Covington. And this is part four of a series that we've been going through for the past few weeks called Living in a Larger Story. And the name of this message is Conflict, where we look at a necessary part of any great story and certainly an important part as each of us try to step from a small story into this epic narrative which God is telling and inviting us into. So, here we go. Off to the service. As you know, we, we uh, as we said last week, that we, we do a, make these talks available online. So if you're just getting here for the first time tonight and you want to kind of catch up with the things we've been covering in here um, the last few weeks, uh, that's a good place to check it out. So you can go to iTunes or um, go to our website, and we, we have that available for you. Um, and, and, and honestly, this is, this is the first series that this church has ever done. So this is history-making. You guys are here on history. You can say, I was there. I was back there when they did that first series. And, um, you know, I've got some, at, at the Kenner Vineyard, they started turning me loose speaking about um, four years ago. And that, that's where I was on staff before we, we stepped out here to, to plant this church. And um, it was funny, this last year, the, couple, the last few times that I spoke, I had people come up to me and say, man, that, 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 really, that, that really touched me. That was really good. Uh, Man, that's so much better than when you started out four years ago. I mean, it was really hard to listen to. So um, I'm like, was it that bad? Um, but hopefully, hopefully in a couple of years, if this church is still here in a couple of years, uh, hopefully we'll look back on, on, on this time with, with those kinds of feelings saying, wow, look how far uh, we've come. So you're a part of history tonight. And, and the series that we're doing we're in part four of it. It's called Living in a Larger Story. And the idea is that, that too often folks kind of get into a, a very small story. We, we find ourselves just surviving, just going through the motions. We're kind of on autopilot. We're, you know, we may be alive, but, but there's no passion, no ambition, no drive in our lives. You know, the story we're living in may be like, you know, just trying to get an 82-inch flat screen at the end of the year or, you know, just just... just Little things in the grand scheme of things. And um, we're just talking about how God wants us to live in a bigger story, the story he's telling, which is an epic narrative, and, and he's, he's chosen to invite us into it. And so a few weeks ago, we talked about the call, and we talked about Peter and how he was just an ordinary guy with a fishing business, and Jesus comes to him, and he, and he says, follow me, and instead of just catching fish, you're going to actually be a part of catching people. You're going to reconcile. You're going you're gonna, to... If you step along with me, we're, you're going to get involved in reconciling people to God again. So Peter moves out of his small story into a much bigger story when he gets the call. And then last week we talked about the idea that though we receive the call as individuals, we, we, we have to respond to God individually. We're never going to live out God's purposes for us 
unless we're in community, you know, unless we have other people. God's healing, you know, the things that God's got to put together on the inside of us, we, we would like that to happen with just me and God, you know, like, like all by myself, and, but that's not the way God works. He, he wants us to be in relationship with other people. Even the fulfilling of our own purposes uh, that God has for us is only going to come in the context of community. And so uh, last week I used the analogy of the saints uh, beating the patriots, and I've had a lot of guys thanking me, like, man, I've been trying to tell my wife for, for a long time that the saints are spiritual, that there's something more than a, a football game going on. And, and um, I took notes, man. I wrote it down, and, and, and I'm, I'm going to tell my wife that when she gives me flack for watching the TV tomorrow afternoon when the saints whip up on the Falcons. So, <laughs> yes, can I get an amen? <laughs> uh, well, tonight, we're going to talk about another aspect of living in a large story, and I guarantee you, we, we could go around the, move, the, the room and, and ask you what your favorite movies are, but I can guarantee you, any of your favorite movies involve this one aspect, because every great story has this aspect. If you don't have this one fundamental part of a story, it's not going to make sense, it's not going to be fun to watch, it's not going to be fun to read, and that part is conflict. Can I get an Amen. Oh, man, I didn't think I'd get one on that. I got a whole room full of them. Uh, but, you know, how many, let, me, let me do a quick poll in here. How many of you guys like conflict? Oh, okay. Well, we're going we're gonna to offer a prayer for you guys specifically tonight. But um, I, think, I think most people, not, not that y'all are weird or anything, but I think most people tend to not like conflict at all. It's like the thing we, we try to avoid, right? Dina's giving me an amen. And, uh, and I think because of this, you can look in America over the last, over the last probably 50 years, and, and a lot of the, the theology that has kind of developed, I mean, really over the last couple hundred years, but we've really seen it take shape over the last 50 years in America, is, is conflict-free theology, you know, we, we talked about this term last week that, that young people are using these days, friends with benefits. I, I want, you know, the sexual intimacy that comes with being married, but I don't want all the baggage of actually having to commit to someone. I, I want all the fun stuff, but none of the hard stuff. And honestly, we've seen theologies develop in Christianity, particularly in, in, in the West, that that kind of are that friends with benefit theology. They're conflict-free. And so it's a theology that, that's developed to avoid conflict. So we've seen, you know, in recent years, the, uh, the prosperity movement, you know, that, that the, 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 the core of this theology is that if you follow Jesus, you're going to get wealthier, healthier, have whiter teeth, fresher breath. People are going to like you. Things are going to be just going great. And, and I think for most of us who followed Jesus for any amount of time, we've realized that's not always the case. But again, it's a theology that wants to avoid conflict. I think also we can see in our culture, you know, uh, for quite some time that there's been such an emphasis on just going to heaven when you die that, that it's kind of avoiding the here and now. You've heard that you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. We've put the emphasis so far off in another place and, and, and we've made where we are right now not spiritual. That's that's trying to avoid the conflict of the real world. Another thing is that 
kind of this circle the wagons mentality. You know, that we just need to come up with Christian versions of everything that exists out in culture so we can have our own little subculture where we have Christian mints and Christian aerobic classes and uh, every kind of Christian product that you can come up with. And Paul's going to come out with a Christian sandwich at Empire State Deli. No. (laughs) Uh, But again, I think that's an attempt to... you know, we see so many bad things happening in the world that we just kind of want to, you know, like, oh, it's, it's, it's hard out there. I mean, people are dying and, and hating each other. And why don't we just make our own little Christian club and, and feel better about ourselves? Again, I think part of the heart of that is avoiding conflict. And, and then finally, I think one of the last aspects is denial. You know, I, I see this in theology a lot lately in, in America. It's just, la, 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 I'm not sick. I don't have any problems. My business isn't hurting. You know, like, like if we admit that we have any problems, it's like saying we, we're defeated, like, like the devil won. <laughs> but again, I think that's, that's, that's not choosing to live in reality. I don't think to follow Jesus, you have to actually, you know, pretend like, like things are just rosy all the time. I think Jesus is, is God enough to actually not be scared away <laughs> by your financial problems, your marital problems, whatever issues that you're uh, facing. So a sound theology cannot ignore conflict. And we can see this throughout the Bible. If you look at the Old Testament, pick any major character out of the Old Testament, Abraham, David, the prophets, any of them. What did they all do? They all had conflict. They all had, I mean, some of them had serious conflict, long periods of conflict. What about the New Testament? Surely the disciples of Jesus had a pretty easy road. I mean, they were like with God right there, God himself in the flesh. No, they had conflict. They had conflict with one another. They had conflict with the world. And, and, and even the early church, after, after Jesus ascends to heaven, we see that there's conflict going on. Even in people who are doing their best to follow Jesus, they're having conflict. So, and I think you can even see the life of Jesus. Was it? Free of conflict? No. I mean, duh, what about the cross? (laughs) Conflict. We see he was having conflict with the religious leaders, conflict with his own disciples, conflict with the devil. Everything in his ministry, there was good stuff happening, no doubt, but there was always trials and suffering and hard times along with it. So what makes you and I think that having no conflict is somehow holy... (laughs) Or somehow normal Christianity. I mean, where do we get the idea that if I'm going to follow Jesus, no problems? Well, I don't know where we get that. But I don't think that that our theology, the way we think about God, the way that we approach God in in our Christian life needs to avoid that that's going to be very much a factor. I put a, a scripture in your outline this week, 2 Corinthians 3, 1 through 6. And this is uh, from Eugene Peterson's uh, The Message Translation. This is a kind of a modern paraphrase of what Paul was saying. And he writes this. Does it sound, this is Paul speaking, by the way. He says, does it sound like we're patting ourselves on the back, insisting on our credentials, asserting our authority? Well, we're not. Neither do we need letters of endorsement, either to you or from you. You yourselves are all the endorsement we need. Your very lives are a letter that anyone can read By just looking at you. Christ himself wrote it, not with ink, but with God's living spirit, not chiseled into stone, but carved into human lives. And we publish it. 
We couldn't be more sure of ourselves than this, that you, written by Christ himself for God, are our letter of recommendation. We wouldn't think of writing this kind of letter about ourselves. Only God can write such a letter. His letter authorizes us to carry out this new plan of action. The plan wasn't written out with ink on paper, with pages and pages of legal footnotes, killing your spirit. It's written with spirit on spirit, his life on our lives. I love that. You know, reality is, Christians, most of your friends who are not Christ followers are not typically going to stumble across a Bible and pick it up. Most people are not going to just, if they're not a Christ follower, most people are not going to, I mean, as many Gideon Bibles as they leave in hotels, most of them remain untouched. Or as we talked about in Alpha, sometimes people use them to uh, roll um, joints. Uh, <laughs> you had to be there to understand the context. So I'm, I, <laughs> I'm just probably going to get myself in trouble with that story. It was a guy who ended up getting saved, but that's how he started. Okay. Um, we're going to be, become that church. Uh, <laughs> most people are not going to just pick up a Bible and start reading it. They're, they're not going to just pick it up. And most of them who do just kind of stumble across it in, in the hotel and pick up Gideon's Bible and start reading it, a lot of folks are not going to just understand it the first time they pick it up. I mean, how many of y'all understood it the first time you picked it up? That was one of the things we talked about at Alpha one night. You know, the Bible's kind of intimidating just approaching it alone. But you know what? Folks are reading the story. People are reading the story. How? They're looking at you. They're looking at all the people who are called Christ followers. And they're, they're reading the story. I love what Paul says here. You know, Paul has been challenged in, in Corinth about his authority. He started the church in Corinth, and he's, coming, he, he's writing this letter years later. People are saying, yeah, Paul, you know, pff, who is he? He, you know, he need, you know, I mean, what's his authority that he does any of this? And, and Paul, I love the way Paul comes back. He said, dude, I'm just, I'm just in the publishing business. You guys are the story. I mean, you, you want to know my credentials? You want to know what authority I have? Look at your lives. I mean, you over here, you were addicted to drugs, and your marriage was falling apart, and, and you were without any hope, and now God's turned your life around. You want, you want a letter of commendation? Look at the people God has changed. And I love the analogy he uses right here. He said, God is writing a story, and he's not writing it on paper. We have the Bible, okay? We have the story written on paper, but the story that God's writing right now, the story didn't stop with the Bible. He's writing it now, not on paper, but on lives. He's writing a story to the rest of the world. He's, he's showing the world that there's hope. There is hope for people who've had marriage problems and drug addictions and, and lost their businesses and, and, and been fired and, and gone through all kinds of junk, cancer, whatever. There's hope because look at this guy. Look at this girl. Look at this couple. Look at what I've done in the midst of that. There's a story, and you guys are the paper. But you know, just the way any other stories won't work without conflict, your story won't be very compelling without conflict either. And that's not good news. You don't, you don't like coming to church to hear these kind of things. <laughs> You know, I, I heard somebody say one, th one time, the things that make for great stories make for great lives. You look at the things, the elements that, that make for a great movie, 
or a great book, they make for a great life. You have a protagonist, and that protagonist has an ambition. You know, a good story, you got to have somebody who wants something in life. You know, not just like, hey, I just want to sit on the TV and, and catch up on, on reruns of Three's Company or whatever. <laughs> Lord of the Rings. Dang, you hurt me. Lord of the Rings, that's a spiritual thing. <laughs> but for a story to be good, you've got to have a protagonist who wants to do something with his life. I mean, he, he gets a vision or she gets a vision of something and wants something. It's not going to be a good story if your protagonist is just like, nah. But also, it's not going to be a good story if that protagonist doesn't have some kinds of conflict that he has to go through. Now, think of what Jesus said. I, I love, Jesus was always saying crazy things. This is one of the craziest things Jesus said. He said, what good is it if you only love the people who love you? Everybody does that. Instead, why don't you try loving your enemies, blessing those who curse you, doing good to those who use you? Loving people that love you? Eh, not a great story. I mean, we see that all the time. Everybody loves people who love them. Loving people who hate you? I want to watch that. <laughs> love people that, that use you and curse you and, and spit on your name and talk bad about you behind your back and you just bless them? That's a story. That's Martin Luther King. It's Gandhi. It's Jesus. I mean, when you see that, it's very rare in our society, but when you see that happen, that's a good story. Ruby Bridges, y'all talked about seeing her the other day. Little girl down in New Orleans who was the first uh, African-American child integrated into the white schools. And every day she'd walk up. What'd she do? She prayed for the ones that were just calling her the vilest of names. She would pray before she went in, and she would come home and she would pray. That's a story. And you know what? It changed some of the people that were even doing that. That's a good story. That's a great story. Now, I know I spent quite a bit of time last week talking about the saints, and so t tonight I'm, I'm going I'm to throw the women a bone. Tonight I want to look at chick flicks. Yay? All right. <laughs> Any favorite chick flicks out here? Still Magnolias? Officer and Baby Mama. Baby Mama. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> well, you know, the typical romantic comedy has a formula. Y'all know what it is. I mean, you know every time you go to watch a movie that's got... Um, Meg Ryan in it, you, you, you pretty much can, can nine times out of ten figure out what the storyline is before they ever, you know, get through with the opening credits. And um, the formula is this. Guy meets girl. Guy likes girl. Guy loses all hope for getting the girl because she's going to get married to the wrong person. You know, someone who she's just kind of conveniently kind of stumbled into thinking, but it's not her soulmate. And uh, so Guy spends the rest of the story trying to get her to uh, fall in love with him. And that's the basic premise. And, and, and we'll turn out for these movies. That they'll turn out 10 or 12 of these movies every year, and we keep, keep watching them. I mean, I don't watch them. I mean, I, I, I've heard of some guys that have seen these things before. <laughs> Lord of the Rings, that's all I watch. Uh, 
But you can see the same kind of formula. It goes all the way back. I mean, in, in the last few hundred years, it was Shakespeare with Romeo and Juliet, when Harry met Sally, uh, even up to the Twilight series that is out in theaters. Not that I'm watching those or even recommending those. Uh, even Slumdog Millionaire. That was one of my favorite movies to come out in the last year. And, and it's basically, you know, kind of the love story on that same premise. Now, let me ask you this. What if when Harry met Sally, he just said, I love her, and popped the question right there. And she said, I love you too. And then they just get married and, and, and they go and open presents and, and, and settle down and get a minivan and move to the suburbs and have 1.5 kids, yeah. Yeah. I, w- would that be a fun movie? No. The fun movie is Harry meets Sally. He starts liking her. Oh, but she's his best friend, and oh, he's tormented, and you've got to watch this thing, and it builds up tension inside of you, and you're going, oh, gosh, is he ever going to get her? And you just, you, you, you see the, the girl in these flicks, you know, she gets with the wrong guy. Oh, it's just, it's just going bad. But finally, when, when they get together, it's like that tension is resolved. But you know, the story doesn't work without conflict. Conflict is necessary. Why is conflict necessary? Well, it, it transforms the main character, doesn't it? You know, ordinary people. We talked about Peter a few weeks ago. He gets the call to be a fisher of men. But the Peter we see a few years later, that's a different guy. He's a different guy. I mean, he starts out, he's, he's very impulsive and brash and, you know, just saying things, you know, off the top of his head. He doesn't have a filter on his, you know, people like that. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but, but later on, we see Peter stand, standing up on the day of Pentecost, and, and he's a different guy. He's taken leadership. He becomes the leader of the church. He's transformed in the midst of the struggle, in facing his own fears about himself, his own rejection, his own depression, all that stuff, in facing all that stuff, something happens in the character of him. And transformation is necessary in our lives, and it only comes through conflict. As much as I would love joy to change me, joy doesn't change me. No? I would say even that love doesn't change me a whole lot apart from conflict. I mean, how do you really know love if you don't have hard times? You know? I mean, if, if Dina and I, you know, if we just got married and, and those, those same romantic feelings that we're having, you know, it's, you know, two kids in love in the spring, going to SLU, if, if those feelings just continued forever and, and, and all was good, how would I have ever been changed from being the arrogant, self-centered, <laughs> impatient person that I was? And I'm not saying I've, I've conquered all that yet, okay? It took conflict. It took hard times. For God to get at that. And I want to look at, at one person tonight from the Old Testament. I would have put the text there, but it, it covers lots of chapters. So you can go in, into Genesis and, and pick it up yourself. It, it's interesting in Genesis. It's said that Moses wrote Genesis. But there's like two chapters devoted to the creation of everything. Two chapters. <laughs> like everything. Stars, moon, space, rivers, trees, frogs, dogs people, everything in two chapters. And that frustrates the heck out of people nowadays because we're thinking, how how was it all put together? You know, was it Big Bang? Was it this? Was it that? You know, was it over six literal days or 6,000 years? Or was it, you know, an epic thing? Is it figurative, poetic, whatever? It drives us crazy. But two chapters. And then the rest of Genesis, it's like there's all these little, you know, all these little stories. But then you get to this guy named Joseph 
And Moses camps out there because it's a good story. I mean, I don't know if that's why he camps out there, but it's a great story. So tonight I want to tell the story of Joseph. Joseph was... Uh, Joseph was a teenager, and he had all these older brothers. And Joseph was like the favorite kid. And we know favoritism is probably bad when you have kids, right? You know, if you pick out one, you start, like, showing favoritism. Well, Joseph, he was the youngest of the kids, so he would have got picked on just to begin with. But then his dad showed him favoritism, bought him all these cool clothes, you know, this robe that was, you know, specially made with all these cool colors. And, and Joseph wore it around probably, you know, kind of cocky and arrogant. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm the beloved son here. Well, Joseph one day has this, this dream. And uh, it's a dream that his, all his brothers bow down to him. And then he actually has another dream that everything <laughs> bows down to him. And being an immature teenager that's probably a little arrogant, he, he tells his brothers. And how do you think that went over? Hey, guys, I just want to let you know I had this dream last night. Crazy dream. I think it's from God that all you guys were bowing down to me. What do you all think about that? And, uh, and they reacted kind of the way that you, you would have thought that they reacted. They took him and threw him in a, a well. And... Uh, which I guess that's what you did if you were angry with someone back in those days. Throw them in a well. And uh, so they threw them in a well. And this is what we would call in, 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 in stories a, a negative turn. This is the, <laughs> the, the hero, the hero, the protagonist in this story. He, he's got this vision from God that he's going to have all this power. But then there's this deviation from the, from the, from the purpose. He ends up in a well. Well, uh, there's a positive turn because his brothers, they're walking away and they see a caravan of people and they're like, hey, wait, why just leave him in a well to die? We, you know, are we barbarians? Let's pull him out of the well and sell him into slavery. We make a little money off this deal. So they pull him out of the well. They sell him into slavery to this caravan that's passing by. They, they take his coat, his beautiful coat, and they put blood on it from a goat and take it back to his dad, tell his dad that he died. And Joseph is, is end up sold into slavery. Well, this caravan takes him into Egypt and he ends up being a slave for uh, a guy named Potiphar. Now, Potiphar worked for the government. He was high up, you know, a, a powerful guy. And so now we see that, that, that this may be kind of a positive turn. Joseph is in slavery, but now he's actually getting close to power. Things may be happening good. But Potter, Potiphar uh, has this wife that um, she has certain let's say pinned up romantic energies that she can't express rightly and uh, <laughs> appropriately. And so she keeps making advances to Joseph. You know, she's the original desperate housewife. And, and she just uh, she's, she just keeps making advances, trying to seduce him every time he gets. And, and he's, he's good at, 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 you know, fending her off for a while. And then finally one day she catches him alone and, and she really starts putting it on him. And, and he's just run, forest run. He gets out of there, and, uh, but he leaves his coat. And so she calls in the other servants and says, you know, he tried to rape me. And, and so Joseph, when, when Potiphar gets home, it's bad news. They throw him in prison and he ends up in prison for years, years. This is another really negative turn. This is the tension, but he's in jail for a few years and, and he decides that, well, even if he's in jail, he's going to be the best prisoner that he can be. <laughs> and, uh, which is a remarkable thing. 
And one day he meets a baker and a cupbearer. Anybody ever have a cupbearer before? If you're wondering what to get me for Christmas, I'm thinking I'd like a cupbearer. I think I deserve a cupbearer. I mean, like, I'm really, I, my, my muscle, is, is, it's, it's kind of tired from picking up the glass so much by myself. <laughs> so if you're, if you're wondering what to get me, a, a cupbearer would be good. But um, he, meets, <laughs> he meets two guys, a baker and a cupbearer. And the interesting thing is they both have a dream. And, and Joseph, uh, in addition to having this major dream from God several years before, he also... Has, has developed the ability to interpret dreams. So he, he interprets the dreams for both of the guys. He tells the baker, uh, he, well, he tells the cupbearer first, he says, good news. You're going to get out of this dungeon and you're going to be restored back to your job and you're going to be a cupbearer again, which, go cupbearer. And uh, that sounds like a pretty lousy job to have. Um, you have to, like, get a degree in that. But, um, but, the baker, he says, bad news for you. You're going to die a violent death. Um, sucks to be you. And uh, both of these dreams come to pass. And he tells the cupbearer, he says, look, when you get out of here, because you are going to get out of here, remember me. Try to see if you can pull some connections. You're going to be right next to Pharaoh. See if you can get me out of here. Well, the cupbearer gets out, and he forgets Joseph. Joseph spends several more years, monotonous, boring, humdrum, depressing years in prison, no hope of ever getting out. But then Pharaoh, the the head of Egypt, has this dream. And it's a dream that he knows is from God, and he doesn't know what it means. And so he calls together all the guys who interpret dreams, all the wise guys in Egypt, and and he says, tell me what this thing is about. And they're like, hey. No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) Wise guys, okay. Sorry. Um, <laughs> and uh, somebody, you know, just getting it. Um, um, he calls all these guys together, and no, none of them can interpret this dream. So, so finally, the cupbearer goes, "Wait a second! I know a guy down in the dungeon who is really good at interpreting dreams. He actually told me I was going to get my job back." So Pharaoh says, "Well, get him out and get him up here." So, so Joseph gets out of jail, and and he tells Pharaoh the interpretation of his dream. He says, Pharaoh, here's what's going to happen. You're going to have seven years of plenty. You're going to have more grain, more food than you're going to know what to do with. But that's going to be followed by seven bad years, famine, drought, horrible times. And I know you just asked me to interpret the dream, but let me tell you what I would do if, if you were asking. Since I'm out of prison right now, he said, if I were you, Pharaoh, I would take the surplus you're going to get out of the next seven years and, and start putting that away in barns and building up a supply of it. And then when those seven years of drought come, then you start passing it out to people. You trade it to them for their land. And by the end of that drought, you're going to own all of Egypt. And Pharaoh goes, you are hired. <laughs> <laughs> I like the way you think, Joe. And so... So Joseph ends up becoming second in command of all of Egypt. This is a positive turn. <laughs> and, and, and we follow the story out a little bit further. Even his own brothers who, who betrayed him, threw him in that well to begin with, sold him into slavery. Even they have to come to him 
and get grain. And, 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 and there's this resolve of all the tension that is built up over all these years in the story. And Joseph basically ends up the story with what you meant for my, my undoing, what you meant for bad in my life, God has meant it for good. God has actually turned this thing around. God's purposes have actually been accomplished through this. And so Joseph actually forgives these people. Crazy. I mean, if somebody like threw me into a well and then faked my death and sold me into slavery, like I, that, that'd be hard to get over. First Peter 6 through 7 says this. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. I love this. You know, the, the, the prosperity gospel in our country says that if you follow Jesus, everything's going to be, you're going to have wealth and riches and all this stuff. What Peter is saying Dude, going through trials and suffering with God, it's better than gold. (laughs) It's better than anything you can get in this world because it transforms you on the inside. And Peter could say that from life experience because he was saying that as a knucklehead who'd been transformed into something good. You know, um, there is a movie that I would highly recommend that I saw yesterday called Invictus. I know we talk a lot about movies in here. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a story about Nelson Mandela and the um, South African rugby team, uh, which I've just, Springbok. And Matt Damon and um, Morgan Freeman. Hello, yes. And um, it's a powerful story. And, and it would really go good with this series. If you need an excuse to go see a movie, it could be a spiritual thing. But, I mean, really, I, I was in there. Uh, it's definitely a good movie. Um, but it's about, you know, kind of Nelson Mandela. He, he comes out of being in prison for, for close to 30 years. And he comes out and he gets elected the leader of South Africa, the first black elected leader. And everybody thought, dude, he's going to be mad. He's going to be angry. I mean, we've had him in prison all these years. And before he got in prison, he was harassed. And I mean, it wasn't just, you know, he had a rough, rough life. If anybody had an opportunity to get bitter and angry and kill white people, it was that guy. But when he came out, it, it shocked people because he started talking about our only way forward as a country is through forgiveness, through reconciliation. And it was amazing. You've seen... Horrors happen in other parts of Africa when there's tension, you know, like in Rwanda between the the Hutus and the Tutsis, that that there's just a bloodbath. And here's South Africa coming out just a few years earlier out out of the apartheid, the separation between blacks and whites. And instead of a bloodbath, they actually were able to start walking out. I mean, it wasn't perfect. It wasn't like, hey, everything's, it had conflict. But I want to read you something. This was written by Desmond Tutu in his, his book, no, no Future Without Forgiveness. And Desmond was an Episcopalian um, archbishop who was really instrumental in a lot of the stuff over there as well. But, but he wrote this about Nelson Mandela. He said, Nelson Mandela emerged from prison, not spewing words of hatred and revenge. He amazed us all by his heroic embodiment of reconciliation and forgiveness. No one could have accused him of speaking glibly and facilely about forgiveness and reconciliation. 
He'd been harassed for a long time before his arrest, making impossible a normal life. And by the time of his release on February 11th, 1990, he had spent all of 27 years in jail. No one could say that he knew nothing about suffering. Everything had been done to break his spirit and make him hate-filled. But in all of this, the system mercifully failed dismally. He emerged a whole person. Humanly speaking, we would be inclined to say that those 27 years were utter shameful waste. Just think of all he could have contributed to the good of South Africa and to the world. I don't think so. Those 27 years and all the suffering they entailed were the fires of the furnace that tempered his steel, that removed the dross. Perhaps without that suffering, he would have been less able to be as compassionate and magnanimous as he turned out to be. And that suffering on behalf of others gave him an authority and credibility that can be provided by nothing else in quite the same way. The true leader must at some point or another convince his or her followers that he or she is in this whole business not for self-aggrandizement but for the sake of others. Nothing is able to prove this quite so convincingly as suffering. Wow. Isn't that cool? He says that, you know, Desmond Tutu's looking at his life and, you know, what a waste. You know, people are saying, what if, you know, what if he wouldn't have had to go through all that? And, and he said, no, he probably wouldn't have come out with the same kind of compassion that he had. You know, he came out a changed person, just like what Peter was saying in, in 1 Peter there, that, that he had something of much more worth than gold. And it was something that was needed for that nation at that time. Wouldn't it be cool if we had more people <laughs> stepping up to lead nations that could had that authority in their life, that kind of riches? So I want to conclude with a few thoughts here tonight. Number one, don't waste your suffering. Whatever it is, don't waste it. What do you mean? (laughs) Try Try to get what God's saying to you in the midst of it. Whether it's financial, whether it's a struggle against sin in your own life, whether it's your marriage, whatever it is that you're facing right now, don't waste it. See, the truth is, we all have an opportunity when things go bad in our lives to get bitter, to get resentful, to, to just become a victim, you know, to come under all this stuff and like, oh, you know, it's, it's everybody else's fault. You know, you're not going to learn anything that way. Had Nelson Mandela had that, that attitude <laughs> with his suffering, he wouldn't have learned anything that God wanted to teach him. He'd have come out bitter, resentful, and ready to wage war when he got elected. And the same thing for Joseph. Had he emerged out of that prison, angry at his brothers and hating people and hating God because of everything bad that happened to him, he would not have have been, uh, he wouldn't have had the authority, the equity (laughs) in his soul to do that. Don't waste your suffering. Listen to what God is saying to you in the midst of it. Whatever it is you're facing, show up to class and say, God, this thing is horrible right now and I want to get out. I'd rather believe something, you know, I'd rather get that conflict, conflict-free theology thing going right now. But instead of that, say, God, what are you trying to show me right now? What can I learn in the midst of this? And will you have your way? Like that song said, not my will, but your will be done. Come and change me. Not my will, but your will. Come and sustain me. 
Secondly, remember that people are watching you. Not to get freaked out and paranoid, okay? <laughs> people are watching you. You may be the only Bible that anybody's reading. You may be the only story that, that your coworkers, your family are seeing. And let me tell you, as much as they need to see the good times, that's not going to impress people a whole lot, you know? It's great, you know? I'm glad things are going good. But when they see you start to go through bad times and you're going through it as a different kind of person, that means something to people. Because anybody can go through suffering and get bitter and angry and resentful. Anybody can do that. <laughs> anybody can go through suffering and get angry. But if you'll keep submitting to God, that's going to speak louder than your words would ever speak. And that'll give you credibility when you do say something to people about Jesus. Because they're going to want to follow that. They're going to say, man, I want that in my life. And finally, if we, if we can just come to terms with this, that conflict's a part of the thing, it will actually help us live in a larger story. See, conflict has a way of, of, of shrinking our story a bit, doesn't it? It has a way, when, when we th- feel things closing in about us, when, when times are getting tough, it, it kind of closes us in, doesn't it? It kind of makes us think that, that, that we're it. This is the only story going on. <laughs> the only story is my pain, my hard times, all this. And it gets us so inwardly focused that we cease to connect with anything outside of that. But if we will understand that conflict is a part of living in a larger story, it will help us to get some perspective. It's part of what God's doing. It's not, and I'm not saying that it's bad to pray for conflict to go away, okay? <laughs> Paul even had to pray sometimes. You know, Paul said, we don't know what it was, but he said he had some messenger from Satan in his life. And he prayed to God three times, please take it away. And God said, sorry, Paul, my grace is sufficient, <laughs> So whether God takes away something or not, whether he, he, he resolves it or not, conflict, if we know that that's part of the thing, it'll help us live in a bigger story. Now tonight, I just want to close with a, a, a little sing of a worship song together, and um, the band can get back up here. And we don't have the words written down, but um, you don't have to sing along. You don't even have to stand up or anything. But I just want us to to just as an act of worship tonight, surrender to God and just say, God, I may not understand tonight. I may not get what's going on, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. And this, I may be facing some of the hardest things I've ever faced in my life. I don't know where anybody is tonight. Whatever you're facing, maybe we can open up our hands and just begin to trust God with that. And then after that, if anybody wants some prayer, um, I'm going to get a couple of people from our uh, team to, to get up here and uh, And they'll be here to pray with you tonight with whatever you're going through.